0: Welcome to Secrets of Tomorrow's Leaders. My name is Corin Young with RK Studios. This podcast is produced in partnership with JCI Santa Clarita. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Our guest today has spent the last three decades working in the cruise industry. Throughout her career, she's managed tens of thousands of people. She's a proud alumna from several chapters of Junior Chamber International, and she is facilitating a training for JCI Santa Clarita this next Wednesday, November 18th, 2020 at 6 p.m. We're going to be talking about building and managing through trust. I enjoy talking to her about uh, her travel stories, and uh, please help me welcome Holly Weberg. Welcome, Holly. Thank
1: you. Thank you for having me. My gosh, and that introduction, I'm just... I am amazed at how the JCs have grown. I mean, when you're talking about now the podcast and how it's developed and it's just so exciting from when I was a member and I I think it's awesome. Congratulations. And your history as well, your background in doing this and your marketing, just congratulations. Fantastic history.
0: Uh, Thank you. Yeah, We've been doing the podcast for about a year and a half um, and we've had all kinds of people from JCI members to uh, um, elected uh, officials. To uh, our our trainers and just people that are you know out in the community doing things, and it's kind of cool to to talk to people that either our members would be interested in or other future leaders uh, or people from from other chapters, you know. So it's it helps us get the word out a little bit.
1: Absolutely, and JCs they attract like people people that get out. They like the service organizations. They like to be involved. They want something more and bigger beyond themselves and it's just it it draws a good number of people for sure. I mean when I was serving as state director for the Santa Monica JCs, we were in a fiscal year change with, with JCI and so if you were elected that particular year, your service wasn't 12 months, it was actually 18 months. So the state directors and the presidents and everybody that served that year we served her 18 months and we really bonded a lot more than probably a normal board would. And I mean, when I think back to Santa Clarita Valley being started back there with uh, April Aston at the time, now April Price, Uh Jason from Universal City, North Hollywood, Santa Monica, Irvine, Beverly Hills, East LA, Pomona, I wrote them down, Long Beach, San Jose. I mean, we were all over the place and we became really, really good friends and we were up and down the state. We supported each other's events. If there was anything going on, we were there. I mean, we were just an instant crowd. it was
0: really- yeah. It's cool hearing those stories because I know that even people that are in our chapter now talk about when it formed like 21 years ago now, 22 years ago now, um, how people from the Santa Clarita chapter were friends with people from Pasadena and Santa Monica and Beverly Hills and all these other chapters where I feel like now we're a little bit more localized uh, I know, at least speaking for myself, that I tend to be interested in local events, you know, and contributing to things that help our local community. And uh, I know that we have a couple of other chapters in Southern California, but I haven't met them personally. I haven't been to to their events. Um, and I'd like to. I think we'd have to plan something for uh, for 2021. But yeah, you guys used to get together all the time, huh?
1: Absolutely. And it's the role of the state director to make sure those connections are happening. And so when events are happening at Santa Clarita, the other chapters could come in and help you as volunteers or just to be there as participants and vice versa. When they've got an event, by all means, you know, go down there, give them a hard time, harass them, you know, buy them some beers, whatever. They love it. I mean, it's about getting to know the state and you're meeting like-minded people that really, really care and they want to give back. So absolutely.
0: How did you come to do this uh, upcoming uh, training for us? Like, I, I know that uh, like my, my people just called your people and made it happen, but behind the scenes, how did you get involved with us? So,
1: um, so I get some of your emails somehow through Santa Clarita Valley, and I'm still very close to Jason and April, and I noticed that Jason was giving a podcast with you. And so I went ahead and signed up for it just for fun. And, and I thought, this is kind of neat. I, I just want to you know, be there because I'll tell you what, I've heard motivational speakers. Jason Price is one of the best motivational speakers I've ever heard. And he really takes it down to a personal level and he adapts it to whoever he's talking to He's excellent. And so I thought, you know, this is kind of fun. We've been working on Zoom all day long and, and this would be kind of fun just to, Kicked back and listened to him talk. And he facilitated a training that was absolutely just heartwarming. It was really good. He did a good job. So, um, and I asked some questions towards the end. Well, he called me out because he saw my name. And so he said, wait a second. And, and so we started chatting a little bit. And then with that, Santa Clarita reached out and said, Hey, um, we heard that you used to manage very large teams and managing very large floating resorts in the cruise industry would you like to talk you know to new managers and seasoned managers about you know leading teams and how you do it and how you do it successfully and so i said absolutely because as you know when the jc's reach out and you're volunteered to do something you're just there
0: <laughs> that's what i've heard and i've ho- heard from uh from other Uh, alumni that even after you have aged out uh, you're still kind of get get roped in uh, periodically
1: absolutely but you know what it's it's fine it's absolutely perfect and I'll tell you when I was an active JC I benefited a ton from the alum coming back and and talking to us as well so you know the more you can share stories the better off you are
0: yeah, same. That you, you mentioned that you lead large teams. When you and I were talking, you had mentioned that you had worked in the cruise industry for like 30 years. Uh, many of those years actually on a cruise ship managing an entire team of like 1,500 yeah. people. They, they all reported to you up the chain, right?
1: Yeah. So 17 direct reports would manage collectively through an organization of about 1,500 people. And um it it it's an organization for sure but you want to make sure that you develop trust in every single level of that organization and and it that's how i managed it it was a lot of fun you really build a, a camaraderie really i mean 52 nationalities you have to understand i mean everybody coming from different parts of the world and in some parts our countries might be at war with each other, but we're working together on board as, as family and making it happen, you know, and delivering a five-star product day after day after day so that guests come on and it's seamless, you know? And it, it's it's an amazing environment and experience to be a part of.
0: Yeah, I hadn't considered that, but I guess you're right. 52 different countries all represented right there in, in your staff at any given time. How do you handle managing people from different cultures, different uh, different languages? Like, is, is speaking English a requirement to work on a cruise ship?
1: Um, it's helpful for sure. And it also dictates what your role will be. So obviously the English-speaking crew members are the front line with the guests because most of your traveling guests are English or are American-speaking or English-speaking. Uh-huh. Um, so, but yes, it is important that you have a working knowledge of english um it's also helpful for you to have a secondary or third language i mean i've worked with people that speak seven languages fluently and that was more it it wasn't like a rarity i mean it was a normal thing it was amazing to work with people like that tremendous and i feel feel like you see
0: that in other countries not not as much in america like we're lucky for bilingual
1: correct exactly exactly so, and I grew up with Spanish. I, I actually grew up in Glendale, California. And so Spanish was a, was a nice secondary language for me. And I had godparents that were Spanish speaking. And so they would speak to me as I was growing up. And then in high school, I studied it and college. And then I studied French. And then that got me through Italy. When I got into Italy, I was able to limp <laughs> my way through, um, you know. Using your French
0: I- and Spanish?
1: well Spanish got me through Italy and how
0: funny. Uh, okay.
1: Yeah. But uh, they, they, they laugh at me because they say, did French get you through Portugal? And I'm like, not at all. The Portuguese language is supposed to be a French derivative. It's very, very different. It definitely is its own language, but um, yeah. Huh. It's, it's interesting. And then I had a, uh, we hosted exchange students from Finland and they would teach me a phrase a day. And so I do speak a little Finnish. And so I, like to practice and throw that around every once in a while. And I've lived in Norway um, to build a ship. I've lived in Germany to build a ship. Um, I've been in Italy and the Spanish uh, shipyards as well. So when you're actually living there with the vessel and you're kind of working with locals day in and day out, it does force you to learn the language. And so um, I would say I'm still weak in German. I shouldn't be, but I I am weak in German, but um, yeah. That's so
0: cool. So, you, you've been all over Europe, mm-hmm. right? You've been uh, South America, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Africa.
1: I have not been. I've been to Northern Africa, not South Africa. So, you know, I have mm-hmm. and, and,
0: and parts of Asia as well, right? And I'm guessing all uh, over. Am, the, yeah,
1: these are you where I haven't been. I haven't been yeah. to South Africa, I haven't been to the Orient side of Asia and I haven't been to Antarctica. so. But I can say I've touched the continents of Asia because of my experiences in Turkey.
0: Yeah. So, well, that's so cool. As someone who loves to travel, I think it's so cool to, to have a job that sends you to, to different places.
1: Yeah, it really is. It was amazing. But my, my passion and my love actually came from the love of the ships. I grew up with, I grew up around a lot of ships and um, I remember graduating from hotel school college with a hotel degree and I was about to go to work with my first cruise line. And I remember my dad said it would have been cheaper to put you in the Navy. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, but not nearly as much fun. No,
0: but you knew early on that you wanted to work on uh, cruise ships, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. Definitely. It's like an early passion. It's kind of like you. I mean, you know, you, you get some kind of a bug in broadcast or marketing or what have you and you just drive it right through. I mean, how'd you get your start?
0: Yeah, same thing, I guess. When I was a kid, I as watching movies. I just enjoyed making movies. And we didn't have, uh, we might have had like a VHS camcorder then, but I know we had like a Super 8 uh, movie camera that, I, that I'd play with. It was my parents. And just kind of experimenting with it. And I always knew that I'd work in, in uh, film and video somehow. Oh, wow. So, yeah. yeah. it's uh, it, You're right. It's just one of those things where uh, even at a young age, it's just like, I'm going to do this. And you find a way to get in. You
1: know? yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, where there's a will, there's a way for sure. Absolutely. And passion just drives you there. So, no, that's great. So, good.
0: Wow. Yes. Yeah, so, 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 you mentioned that you were involved in different chapters of the JCs. Uh, here in California and then even at the state level, how did you get involved in that? what did you uh, what did you do there?
1: So I came to land. My mentor in the cruise industry um, brought me ashore to work for Crystal Cruises and their corporate offices which happened to be in Century City. And having grown up in Glendale, I was very, very aware of the Glendale JCs at the time because the Glendale JCs ran, the best annual parade, the best annual carnival, the best, so JC's were everywhere when I was growing up. So fast forward all those years, I come back to land and I grew up in service um, organizations. I was involved with my family through Knights of Columbus, the Alps and the Rotary and you, know, you name it, we were, we were a part of it. And um, so when I came back to shore there was no question that I was gonna get involved. And one of the first organizations that I reached out to was the Long Beach JCs because that's where I had a contact. And they pointed me to the Santa Monica JCs right down the street from Century City. And I went to a Santa Monica JC meeting and um, similar to a funny story that you tell about your first encounter, um, I showed up at my first meeting and they said, great, we're having nominations, and we nominate you to be state director, and the elections are next week. And I thought, this is my first meeting. Like, I just hold on a second, you know. And um, and not only state director, but that was the year that we had the fiscal change that turned mm. into eighteen months. Um, but amazing, 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 amazing experiences, and um, a lot of involvement with JCI as well, with visiting. Chapters from outside the country and then I got to visit and go to international conventions and I just incredible incredible career so Santa Monica JCS Chapter down the street wanted to start or revamp their chapter the Beverly Hills jc's so I helped them charter their chapter. They nominated me as their president and then later, of course, I was their chairman of the board. And then I was invited to be the chief of staff of the California JCs board the president at the time, Mike Nerio. And, um, you know, the rest is just history. But, and those, those people are still friends of mine. I mean, I still consider them like family. I mean, I, I would do anything for the fellow JCs.
0: That's so cool. What kind of uh, leadership skills do you think you learned as a part of the JCs in the, in the leadership positions that you kind of were pushed into early on?
1: You know what, that's a great question because when you're managing volunteers, they could literally look at you and go, you know what, I'm bored, I want to leave or I'm out of here, you know? And you really need to keep them engaged and excited. They're obviously there because their heart's in it. So drive and dwell on that passion and and keep them involved in, in doing that. And I will tell you that managing people on the ship as well, I've pulled from those experiences a lot from managing volunteers, because if you volu- if you manage volunteers, that's a whole other level of management, and um, versus you know people that are there to collect a paycheck and people that are there to collect a paycheck are there for different reasons. They're there for family. They're there to grow their career. They're there for, you know, other interests, whatever it is. Um, but either way, you're you're growing. You know individuals you were talking about working on some of your projects and maybe as a as a newer project leader you felt awkward about kind of telling people you know hey get to it hey you're dropping off or
0: yeah well because like like you said they're volunteers so on the one hand rather than a paid employee that has to do the job they're they're you know they're just stepping up to do it Mm -hmm. but if you know that you need it done kind of quickly, you don't want to harass them and like, hey, what's what's the status on that? If they're exactly. working on it, you're, you'd be bothering them. But also if you let it go too long and then follow up and they're like, oh, I totally forgot because sometimes they do forget. Yeah. And uh, so it's kind of a fine line be- between that. You know that they're, they're stepping up because they want to do it. Like you said, their heart's in it. But um, family has to come first, their actual job, has to come first so sometimes you know you end up taking a back seat and uh and you have to pick up the slack yourself so it gets a little it gets a little tricky
1: it it is it's it's a balancing act for sure and keeping everybody engaged by keeping them involved in where we're at in the project so where we're at and how we're moving forward um action plans so that everybody kind of has an idea of what everybody's doing because if I'm told, you know, to do this one line item project or part piece of the project, in my own mind, I'm thinking, well, is all this other stuff being covered? Like who's doing that? How's that doing? So sometimes if you can paint it out in an action plan, it, it brings everybody to the table to say, oh, okay, good. Yeah, we've got everything covered. Now I can just focus on my piece and get that done. And, and that helps facilitate as well. I, I've found, you know, with some of our projects, um, but I've used a lot of those same skills in managing crew on board. So absolutely.
0: Yeah. You know, with that uh, plan that you mentioned, uh, that reminds me of, yeah, I've worked on a bunch of uh, low budget short films and, and feature films where it's just a bunch of friends that get together to, to work on something and we're not getting paid. We're not paying people. We're just doing it because we love the, the art and the craft of it. But there's been times when I've been asked to do something and so I don't mind doing it and I don't mind doing it for free, but it's frustrating when you do it and then uh, somebody else was working on that exact same thing and Cross the, you got to figure out like, okay, well, which one are you going to use? And it's like, I don't mind donating my time to a cause that I'm passionate about, but I don't like wasting my time.
1: Exactly. And so exactly. Sometimes
0: it's, it's, uh, it's tough because you don't want to do something that someone else is going to be doing or something that isn't needed.
1: So how have you found to bring those people in and really prove to
0: them that they are valuable. Oh, that's tough. I, I found that um, one of the, the biggest things uh, that you can do is just tell them that they're valuable. Tell them that they're appreciated. To say, you know, I, I love that, that you did this. It's awesome. Honestly, I couldn't have done this without you. Um, I'm really glad that you're working on this thing. Uh, Because a lot of times uh, when I'm in that position, I like to feel validated. I like to feel appreciated. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, because I've been taken for granted before. And so I I make sure to do that with my volunteers as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so that's one of the um, keys that we're talking about on uh, next Wednesday. We're talking about building that trust. And when you're bringing it down to a human level where we're saying, you know what, I so appreciate you did X, Y, Z. Thank you so much. You're kind of opening that door to that trust and that extra level. And there's, there's a lot of other things we're going to be talking about, but it definitely takes it down to a personal level. And when you can build a team through trust, then everything can come to light and the team can tackle anything that comes to light as a team. And it works out, you know, really well dynamically. So
0: Yeah. Now now those are things that I'm able to say to somebody one-on-one because I have very small teams. But if you have 1500 people, what are some things that you could do on the ship to make somebody feel appreciated or welcome or valued?
1: So one of the things that I like to let all of the crew know straight away from orientation, because there is orientation on the ship, is I let them know There isn't a mistake that you can make that we haven't made on board already. Be honest about it. Tell somebody straight away so that we can fix it because it takes more time going around to circumvent a situation to figure out where the truth lies versus if you just tell us straight out, this happens, what do I do? We'll help you fix it. We'll help you get right to it but please tell somebody and trust that that's all all that's going to happen is we're going to fix it. And and that's what it comes down to. You're not going to be all accountable for it. Everybody makes mistakes. We're going to get to it. But we will continue to deliver the best product that the oceans have ever seen. And that's something that we build a competition, a competitive spirit um, that I am told by my European colleagues is very American of me but I feel like when the crew want to compete and when you tell them, you know what, we are rated number one in the industry right now and it's because of what you're doing and it's that individual level of trust. Um, and then to the individual level, know your, know your team, know who you're working with. Do you know if they have a family or not? Do you know if they have a dog? Do you know if they have a farm? Did they come from a farm? Um, what can you tell? that person about themselves, because if you can name five things about that person, chances are they're gonna feel appreciated by you and they're gonna know that you're in their corner and that you're working in their best interest. And so that was important to me is to get to know the crew at a different level and also understanding the different cultures, the different, um the different cultural aspects of what influenced them. For example, as an American, we celebrate birthdays. Some cultures celebrate name days and a name day is far more of a party than a birthday ever dreamed of being. And so you kind of have to do that. And then of course, then there's the national um, holidays. So like 4th of July, actually that's not really a big deal (laughs) because there aren't a lot of Americans on board. But Jamaican Independence Day, man, the whole crew turns out for that. That's one of the best parties on board the ship. And oh, I never um, thought of when is that? August first or second? Yeah, it's right there. It's it's August. And um, oh, wow, I
0: gotta I gotta take a cruise next August then.
1: There you go. Oh my gosh, and and all of the uh, the the beer comes on from um, from the nation that's hosting the party. And I'll tell you, you really learn an appreciation. The Indonesians do a beautiful Independence Day. That's in the, don't quote me, that's in the summertime sometime. But they actually make t-shirts for everybody. It reminds me of a fraternity party. You know, it's just, everybody gets a t-shirt for the Indonesian Independence Day. Um, I mean, the different nationalities get together too because they really want to highlight how proud they are, where they come from. And um, and that's exciting too. And then there's other nations that only have two or three people from that nation, you know, and, and that's okay. And so, you know, you do what you can to, to celebrate, but collectively we all celebrate each other together too. And
0: yeah. That sounds a, so cool.
1: Yeah. It, we all become a family and we celebrate each other. So. Great.
0: You, you mentioned that you want people to be honest. If they've made a mistake, just come forward and say it. Right. And, you know, you almost make it sound like a parent where it's like, Hey, you're not going to get in trouble, but I just need to know. But, um, kind of a weird question but i'm curious are there things that you could get in trouble for if somebody came forward um have you ever had to fire somebody while they're thousands of miles from home
1: so you know what you can't so because i set the precedent of just tell us you can't fire somebody for that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so but if, but if so, they get um, caught,
0: that's different. But yeah. Yeah,
1: it, exactly. But but if you're trying to hide it and it's pretty, pretty devastating to the operation or what have you, you know, you'll get a written warning for it. And it, there's a protocol. There's there's three written warnings. And then there's also the chain of commands where a department head may bring up your termination like to be terminated but you still face the captain's court and that's a time-honored tradition
0: oh that sounds captain, scary
1: Yeah, the captain is like supposed to be a neutral party because he looks at it as oh wait a second you're from this country you're from this country is this really an issue or are you guys having a spitting match because you're two conflicting countries and so that's for him to decipher like Maybe an overbearing manager is like, "Oh, I don't like him because he's this and that and that." Well, wait a second—is there more to do this? And that's where cruise ships are a little bit different. But I try to break down those barriers before it even gets to that. And so you're really bonding and you're really bringing people together. Um, you know, it's there are times where you do have to terminate somebody, um, but it's very rare, very very rare. And, oh. and that's a good thing. Um, yeah,
0: that's, that's a that's a good track record. What, how, how do they get home then? Do they just like at the next stop they have to get off, or do they? Does um, it turn into a pleasure cruise for them?
1: No, no. They. Um, you usually. Okay, so you usually tell a crew member the day that they're gonna be fired. So they've had three written warnings. So they kind of know something, you know, that they're on check. They all they know that, and. The day that we pull into port where we've already arranged for their plane ticket, and the the port agent is ready to take them home, they sit before the captain for the captain's court, and the captain generally agrees with the manager because there's enough documentation. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking about, you know, there was a crew party and you went upstairs. And you peed in the kids' pool. Like, and we have you on videotape. So that happens. Written warning, okay? And so that's her first written warning, you know? And so, and then it was. That's a a
0: very specific example, by the way. I have a feeling that you're not making that up.
1: I'm not making that up, no, you know? And, And so, you know, and then, you know, you're stealing alcohol out of provisions, you know? That's a written warning, okay? And so, Things like that. So, um, anyway, you finally get to something very toxic, and that third strike, you are sitting before the captain. So, at that time, the captain usually says, uh, "Yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're a bad egg. You're, you know, you're bad for the culture, kind of thing." Mm-hmm. And so, he will agree. And at that point, shipboard security escorts you to your cabin, where you pack. And then you are taken to the gangway and the paperwork is handed over to the port agent because you have to expatriate expatriate through that country. So in other words, you're an American and I'm putting you off in Turkey, okay, in Istanbul. So I have to make sure that you're cleared through customs to get through. And we as a company um, have an agreement that we are putting you off in Turkey you have an airline ticket and we will make sure that you were on that airline leaving the country. And that's what our port agent does to verify. So kind of interesting. Um, it, it is. I'm, yeah. sure,
0: I'm sure you didn't want to come on here and talk about how you fire people, but it was something that, that I was worried about. But let me ask you on the other side of that now, with a staff of 1,500 or 1,700 um, crew, is it really hard to advance your career or are they able to move up to different uh, management or are people uh, in your position hired as managers from the beginning?
1: So you you definitely want, um, cruise ships are not a place to learn your trade, okay? You don't wanna go on board with no experience. You better know your trade when you're hired. And, um, and sometimes you, you know, ships, you change ships so often, depending upon need and what, what's going on. Sometimes you inherit your crew. You don't get to hire your team in many cases, you inherit them. And so you really have to um, build them quick and fast with how you work. And so there's times that I've walked on ships where I've felt like, you could have cut the air with a knife. I mean, people were just like, oh, yes, ma'am. Okay, yeah, we'll get your bags. Okay, we'll do this, we'll do that. And I'm like, whoa, where did this come from, you know? And, and it, I'm walking into an environment that there were some overbearing managers. And in my head as an American manager, I'm sorry, but we're equal. I don't care what you do on board this vessel. We're equal as humans. And I manage and I never forgot how to manage as an American manager. And so what's running through my head in those kinds of situations are is that management team still on board that's scaring them? Or, you know, did they move along? And you know, this is just residual, what's going on? And so that's where you start having individual meetings with the direct reports, people who report to you directly to say, okay, bring me into your department, you know introduce me, let me meet the team, let me hear, you know, what you guys are working on, what your focus is, let me, and even that's new to a department head, where they're like, you want to come to a meeting? I'm like, yeah, sure, why not, you know, and they're like, really, like, okay, you know, and I'll ask the the chef to help me, like, I may bring in snacks for everybody, or, you know, just kind of surprise them, and then they're like, oh, we've never had snacks in our meeting before, you know, and just kind of just change it up whatever they're yeah. expecting expect something different because i'm there to kind of change it up a little bit and that's why i was brought in so um there was a couple of times where i got to handpick my team and that was awesome um a couple of times where we were handpicked to start uh cruise ships you know from keel up where we're there in a shipyard and um that's fun you really get to know and trust and you know there was a chief engineer who I consider one of the best in the industry that I got to be on a startup with and he would tease me because I'm known for having flashlights I have a lot of flashlights and I I always have them because I've never been on a ship that hasn't had a little glitch or a little slight blackout or a little something I don't know but I've always got flashlights on me And so when I came on board, he he jokingly he says you do not need a flashlight on my ship. And so I'm I'm like, I know, I know, you know, what have you. Well, we were building it. So it was a Friday night, we were all getting ready to leave the shipyard, the construction site, and we were going to all go out to dinner. And I forgot something in my makeshift office and I had to go back on board this construction site. And I'm literally walking beam to beam to beam to beam because it's three decks right below me, okay, to get this office. And I'm right in the middle and the lights go out because we're done. It's a Friday night. Lights go out for whole construction site. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I I, I can't see anything. I know there's three decks below me. So there I stood. And so finally I hear that I'm like hello is anybody here right so I start and I hear the chief engineer come in and he goes so where is your flashlight and so I said you said on your ship I never needed a flashlight and he said well Miss American do you want help or do you want to stand there all night and I'm like will you please help me (laughs) so anyway it just it's Fun, fun, crazy stories of relationships that you build with people from all over the world, and it kind of reminded me of you know being a state director with the JCS because anywhere we traveled for state conventions or state events or what have you, whatever city we were in, JCS invited us to their homes, and the same thing with the international crew that I worked with. You know, when we were in different ports or what have you. I get to visit people's homes. I got to go into their homes and experience their day-to-day life and see what that was like and see what that was all about and meet families. And, you know, it's very rewarding when you can meet people on a very personal level and you really get to know them. And I love that. That's what I feed on. So. Yeah,
0: that sounds so cool. Were you sent to other cities uh, or countries as in your role with the JCs too?
1: With I'm sorry, with the JCs WhatsApp.
0: Were you sent to other cities or countries uh, in your role with the JCs as well as with the um, cruise I line? I
1: was, yeah, I was actually because when Can um, had their international convention, being from the Beverly Hills JCs, Beverly Hills and Cannes, France are sister cities. What? So I know that. Sister cities, yeah, and so. Um, Ken had, Ken JCs hosting the International Convention had interest in doing a twinning agreement with the Beverly Hills JCs. So, thankfully I had a wonderful, wonderful mentor boss who I worked for at Crystal Cruises and I told him, you know, what was going on and how this was building up and he said well then we're going to have to send you to the ship for work and after you finish your meetings, you can fly over the Mediterranean and and just be right there in Cannes for a week or so. And I'm like, really? And he said, absolutely. And so I flew to Athens, Greece to work on board Crystal Harmony. And I was doing projects with the team there. And then when I finished, I flew just, you know, the hundred dollar flight over to Cannes and spent the week there and fantastic experiences really, really was. So.
0: Wow. How cool.
1: Yeah, so that was that was the furthest I would say I traveled for the JCS. But as a state director, we were everywhere um, because we wanted to be, and we made sure we were. And sometimes it gets expensive of being a state director, but you learn how to buddy up with um, fellow state directors and fellow chapters, and you know it. it was great. It's good times. So
0: yeah, that sounds sounds like a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. So anyway. Yeah.
0: Well, I love how you're able to combine your uh, your JC experience and your passion for uh, leadership and training with your uh, career in mm-hmm. the uh, hospitality industry. Like you, you mentioned, that you had worked uh, in hotels, you kind of worked your way up. You, you had done all kinds of different jobs, and um, and kind of combine them to what you're doing with us next week, next Wednesday for, the, yeah, for this training. I tried it. I
1: I didn't see it. I. And I'm thrilled because the Santa Clarita JCs are really I would consider them one of the powerhouses of the state of California. It doesn't matter yeah. about the size of the chapter, I would say it's definitely one of the powerhouses because you're moving everything forward. And I mean, you being one of the 40 under 40 as well. I mean, it it attracts great people. I mean, it attracts people like you. And yeah, thank awesome you. Class. We we do
0: have a great team. Um we're we're not huge. Um we have, we have a kind of a small dedicated team and we have a, a bunch of other members that we see from time to time, but uh, it's been less so, you know, th- this year. But yeah. um, as I understand it, uh, the Santa Clarita chapter is one of the more active chapters in California. And I think that's kind of cool. You know, even, yeah. even this year, uh, even with COVID and quarantining and everyone being at home, we've had so many trainings and meetings uh, just via Zoom you know, I, I want to say at least one a week, you know, we, we've done uh, prob- probably 50 events by now. So I'm, wow. I'm pretty yeah. proud of, of what they've done there.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I did some homework too, uh, working up to this upcoming Wednesday, because talking about COVID and the Zoom environment that we're all in, that's a whole nother level of management. And some of the new managers or seasoned managers that the JCs attract, um, they're facing different dynamics and, um, you know, how do you manage that and how do you portray trust in a zoom environment? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that as well.
0: Cool. That's, that sounds like a, like a great topic. I know that some people are struggling with zoom because they're very social, very extroverted. They need the personal interaction and to see, look in someone's eyes and to hug them and and be close to them. Um, I'm actually okay with the Zoom thing. This this is just fine for me, but uh, <laughs> yeah. everyone, everyone's different.
1: Yeah, exactly. Different strokes for different folks.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, once again, it's at 6 p.m. next uh, Wednesday. That's November 18th. Uh, it'll be on Zoom. For tickets and information, uh, check out com or go to our Facebook page. Uh, Holly, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today.
1: Thank you so much, Warren. I really appreciate it. It's been great getting to know you. my gosh. What, what an amazing contributor you
0: are. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next week.
1: All right. Super. Thank you. See you then. Take care.